Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey Minister and Chaplain JG Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the 12th chapter of Luke, verse 13, and let's get into it. Last time we started to unpack chapter 12, where we were made aware of hypocrisy, and Jesus teaches us to fear God. So we're going to proceed now with the parable of the rich fool. So beginning with verse 13, let's go ahead and read. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul will be required of you, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. <clears throat> now the change in topic, before we get into verse 13, seems abrupt through a comparison with chapter 16 that we will get into that shows a similar placement of controversy with Pharisees alongside teaching about worldly wealth. There are the words the Pharisees who loved money in verse 14 that we will see serve to line the two subjects. Now chapters 12 and 16 have much in common. The topic of wealth is prominent in Luke's writing. And here Jesus turns a question into an opportunity for ministering to an individual's underlying need. So we have a warning against greed. And here in verse 13, we come to this point where a man has stepped out from the crowd. A person who recognized Jesus as a teacher would naturally expect him to have the ability to render a judgment in ethical matters and ask the Lord to settle a dispute between his brother and himself over an inheritance. Now, it has often been said that where there's a will, there are a lot of relatives. This seems to be a case in point. We are not told whether the man was being deprived of his rightful portion or whether he was greedy for more than his share. And rabbis were often consulted in these matters. Jesus' refusal to answer is not a denial of his right or denial of his ability to answer, nor of his concern for social and ethical matters. But as we see in verse 14, rather, Jesus turns directly to an area in which others have no right to judge, namely the question of motivation. The Savior quickly reminded him that he had not come into the world to handle such trivial matters. 
The purpose of his coming involved the salvation of sinful men and women. He would not be deflected from this grand and glorious mission to divide a pitiful inheritance. And in addition, he did not have legal authority to judge matters involving estates. His decisions would not have been binding. So we see in verse 15 that Jesus' audience is probably now the whole crowd and not just these two brothers. The issue revolves around the very nature of life. Greed seeks worldly things which must not be equated with true living. In fact, material possessions become a substitute for the proper object of a person's search and worship of God. Therefore, greed is idolatry. But the Lord did not use this incident to warn his hearers against one of the most insidious evils in the human heart, namely covetousness. The insatiable lust for material possessions is one of the strongest drives in all of life, and yet it completely misses the purpose of human existence. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Now let me take a side note here real quick. This is one of the red flags that our Lord hung out, which most people nowadays do not seem much to regard. Christ said a great deal about the danger of riches, but not many persons are afraid of riches. A covetousness is not practically considered a sin in these times. If a man breaks the sixth or the eighth commandment, he is branded as a criminal and he's covered with shame, but he may break the tenth and he is only enterprising. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. But every man who quotes the saying puts a terrific emphasis on the word love, explaining that it is not money, but only the love of it. That is such a prolific root. To look about, one would think a man's life did consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Men think they become great just in proportion as they gather wealth. So it seems, too, for the world measures man by their bank account. Yet there never was a more fatal error. A man is really measured by what he is and not what he has. Food for thought. Now, getting back to verses 16 to 18 here, since this is a parable, Jesus can heighten certain elements that illustrate his point, even to the point of having God speak directly to the rich man. The parable of the rich fool illustrates the fact that possessions are not the principal thing in life. Because of an exceptionally good crop, this wealthy farmer was faced with what seemed to him a very distressing problem. He did not know what to do with all the grain. All of his barns and silos were crammed to capacity. So then he has this brainstorm. His problem was solved. He decided to pull down his smaller barns and build bigger ones. He could have saved himself the expense and bother of this tremendous construction project if he had just looked on the needy world about him and used these 
possessions to satisfy their hunger, both spiritually and physically. The bosoms of the poor, the houses of widows, the mouths of children are the barns, which last forever. As soon as his new barns were built, we see in verse 19, he planned to retire. And notice his spirit of independence. My barns, my fruits, my goods, my soul. He had the future all planned. He was going to take his ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And getting into verses 20 and 21, but when he began to think of time as his, he crashed into God to his eternal ruin. God told him that he would die that very night. Then he would lose ownership of all of his material possessions. They would fall to someone else. Someone has defined a fool as one whose plans end at the grave. And this man surely was a fool. Then whose will all these possessions be, God asked. Well, we might well ask ourselves the question, if Christ should come today, whose would all my possessions be? How much better to use them for God today than to let them fall into the devil's hands tomorrow? Well, we can lay up treasure in heaven with them now, and thus we will be rich toward God. Or we can squander them on our flesh and from the flesh reap corruption. The man expresses in his words the attitude Jesus discerns not only in the inquirer but in others. The word fool is used in the Old Testament sense of one who rejects the knowledge and the precepts of God as a basis for life. And God addresses the man on his own pragmatic terms, dealing not with matters of the kingdom or life beyond death, but with the question of the disposition of his possessions. And this underscores the fact that he will have to leave it all. And using the contrasting words for himself and toward God ends powerfully with the precipitable rich as the final word. Now, another quick side note here. I want you to notice that Jesus declined to enter into this man's selfish family's dispute. Jesus did not attempt to run everybody else's business. Instead, he replied with a parable about the consequences of greed. The lesson of the story offered the man eternal riches if he allowed Jesus' words to change his life. The rich fool had gotten his money honestly through the productiveness of his land. But nevertheless, he was a fool in God's eyes because he had his heart set on this world and not on the world to come. Rich in this world, you'll be a pauper in the next one. This world lasts only a little while. In this other world, it lasts forever. And now we get into another section here where we will see anxiety over possessions. The, this section is virtually identical to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33. And both passages are connected with sayings against storing up things for oneself. And the passage will end in verse 34 with a saying about one's treasure. What was implied in the warning parable of verses 16 to 20 is explicitly commanded here 
And note the therefore that we will see in verse 22. Believers should not act like the pagan world represented by the rich fool of the parable. So let's take a look at this section here. Do not worry. Anxiety versus faith, beginning with verse 22. Then he says to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give it alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now looking back at verses 22 and 23, and after a brief address to the crowd that we had in, in verses 13 to 21, Jesus now again turns to his disciples and observe the parallelism between verses 22 and 23. A comment on food comes first in each verse, followed by one on clothing. Verse 23 provides a support for the exhortation in verse 22. There is more to life than these. The exhortation, do not worry, stands alongside the implied do not covet in this passage, and the preceding one, both rich and poor, can be guilty of these sins. Now, one of the great dangers in the Christian life is that the acquisition of food and clothing becomes the first and foremost aim of our existence. We become so occupied with earning money for these things that the work of the Lord is set back to more of a secondary place. The emphasis of the New Testament is that the cause of Christ should have the first place in our lives. Food and clothing should be subordinate to that. We should work hard for the supply of our current necessities and then trust God for the future as we plunge ourselves into his service. This is the life of faith. And when the Lord Jesus said that we should not worry about food and clothing, he did not mean that we were to sit idly and wait for these things to be provided. Christianity does not encourage laziness, but he certainly did not mean that in the process of earning money for the necessities of life, we were not to let them assume undue importance. After all, there is something more important in life than what we eat and what we wear. 
we are here as ambassadors of the king. And all considerations of personal comfort and appearance must be subordinate to the one glorious task of making God known. So we see in verse 24 the thrust of the comparison, how much more valuable, is a similar to the argument to the lesser to the greater in verses 6 to 7 that we saw. There the sparrows represent birds of little value. Here the ravens may represent birds that were considered unclean and therefore presumably unworthy of God's care. And Jesus assures us that the God who cares for such birds will surely care for us. Jesus used the ravens as an example of how, how God cares for his creatures. Do not, they do not spend their lives a frantic quest for food and in providing for future needs. They live in hourly dependence on God. The fact that they neither sow nor reap should not be stretched to teach that men should refrain from secular occupations. All it means is that God knows the needs of those whom he has created, and he will supply them if we walk in dependence on God himself. If God feeds the ravens, how much more will he feed those whom he has created, whom he has saved by his grace, and whom he has called to be his servants? The ravens have no barns. They have no storehouses. Yet God provides for them on a daily basis. So why then should we spend our lives building bigger barns and bigger storage bins? You think about that. And until next time, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.